episode of Behind the Rainbow. For those of you guys who are visiting for the first time, hello, my name is Elaine Chaya. Welcome to the podcast Behind the Rainbow. If you haven't listened to my other episodes because this is your first one, please make sure to go binge listen to all the other ones in the past because they're all epic and good. For those of you guys who are returning, welcome back. You can find me, you guys, on Instagram at Elaine Chaya, E-L-A-I-N-E-C-H-A-Y-A. And I say that because I love to converse with you guys. I want to hear your thoughts on all of these episodes. Send me screenshots and DMs about your thoughts of this episode, the past ones. Do you guys have suggestions about who you want me to have on future episodes of future topics? As you'll hear in this episode, I say I feel like I'm playing a game of Pokemon with my podcast. I gotta catch them all. Gotta catch all the good topics. Gotta catch all the good speakers and guests. So please, I want this to be something that we work on together is to have conversations of things you guys want to hear about. Also, make sure you leave me ratings and reviews. These are all my little thirsty plugs. So today, I have a girl who I am so excited about. Her name is Rachel Sumach. For those of you guys who are in the Persian and Jewish community, you know her, you love her already. For those of you guys who aren't and you don't know her, well, get ready because you're going to know her and love her by the end of this episode. You know, I'm always inspired by boss ass people, just generally speaking, which I think everyone in the world is. And it just takes a little bit of power to get there if you aren't embracing your bossness. So boss ass people love them already. Boss ass girls love them even more. Boss ass Persian Jewish girls. Hell yeah, because that's part of my tribe. So I really like love those the most because I'm like, these are my people. These are my girls. So Rachel Sumach is one of all of those and above. In 2017, she was noted as Forbes 30 under 30, which you have to put that in every intro because if you have that as part of your title, you got to make sure everyone knows that. So you guys, if you didn't think it already, she is a boss ass girl. Can I emphasize that even more? So she was noted for 30 under 30 for her amazing nonprofit organization called Swipe Out Hunger, which we'll get into the details in this episode. So I wanted her on to, you know, share her journey, how she created this two person little side project into a 90 plus campus movement. And we're growing still here, people. This is going to take over the world. So my podcast episode with her is to get into all those details. But also for those of you guys who have had the pleasure of knowing Rachel or hear her speak before, you've probably already heard all the stuff about Swipe Out Hunger and all the things that she's done with her work. I wanted to delve deeper because I'm an investigator reporter here to get all the info about the Rachel behind Swipe Out Hunger, behind the rainbow, because you know, it's called behind the rainbow here, and get a little more details about her personal life and dating and her just life in general. So we're delving into everything in this episode. And I mean, I just want to be Rachel when I grow up. And I think a lot of people can agree with that statement. And I think you will too after you hear this. She's just so inspiring and just makes you want to go out and do things. Okay, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'm putting in the show notes Rachel's Instagram, details about Swipe Out Hunger if you want to get involved or share the information about it. Also my Instagram. And again, you guys, please share these episodes. The power of sharing is what's going to get all these messages and all these stories out to the world, which I want this podcast to have world domination. So help me out here. All right. Love you guys. Enjoy. Hello, we are live. We are on. I feel, first of all, honored and excited that this is your first official podcast episode with official podcast equipment, as you just said. I'm with my girl, Rachel Sumach. I feel like my podcast guest, it's like me playing Pokemon. I got to catch them all. And I'm only catching the ones that are like the dopest people that I want to have. And you are one of them. So I feel like I'm like claiming trophies and prizes. And here we have Rachel and I do a monologue. If you've heard my other episodes about each guest. So here I go with you. If you look up boss ass lady in the dictionary, I'm pretty sure like your name 
comes up next to it. Every Persian Jew and outside of the Persian Jews, but for sure the Persian Jews will agree with me on this. We'll get into like what you do, but the reason why I wanted to have you on is A, about what you've done with your career and every move that you've made is just so inspiring as someone who's trying to make it or trying to do a passion of theirs, but also as someone in the Persian Jewish community, you are just such a leader. Anytime they want like a speaker, because I'm in like all these other different groups that you're a part of, your name literally comes up every other day. I'm like, she can talk about that too. You can talk about anything. Like you're just an inspiration. So I just love you for so many reasons and more people just look up to you and I'm one of those people. I feel like what I'm so interested in, you speak a lot about your career and how you got to where you are and the hustle of the nonprofit world. I'm more intrigued about Rachel, the personal girl and her life and what that's all about. Maybe some people know that and your friends know that, but I don't think like the public really knows about like the other side of Rachel, which is what Behind the Rainbow is about and showing the other things that you're up to too. Was that a good monologue intro? I tried. That was amazing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for all of that context. There is definitely a Rachel beyond the Rachel who's on stage and who's the CEO of a nonprofit. I mean, you're sitting in my apartment. I've been on the east side in Silver Lake for over four years. You don't find many Persian Jews living in Silver Lake, but I think it's a reflection of how I have been able to be this first generation Iranian Jew in Los Angeles where I love my family. I'm home every single Friday night. You can check and verify with my mother. So still so Persian, still so in the community and also wanting to create the space for me to develop as an entrepreneur, as an individual and having that balance between Rachel and then also Rachel, who's a part of a bigger tribe. I think that's why I resonate with you because I see a lot of myself. We have a lot of the same values and missions about doing stuff for the world, but we're so ingrained in this Persian Jewish community. Like I saw you at a birthday party on Saturday night and then I see you at work things. So yeah, that's what I love about you. So for the people who don't know you, which who doesn't know you, can you explain your upbringing and like what you studied in school and how you got into doing what you do in the nonprofit world? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Shout out to the 818. A middle child. I have an older sister, Tali, younger brother, Nathan. We're all in our 20s. So we have this beautiful tribe of our own now, which is so nice. The experience of being picked on as like the nerdy kid in the family growing up to now being all supportive of each other. So I get a lot of my energy from my family. I went to UCLA, which is every young person's dream and had the chance to move away from home, move to Westwood and went from being this like very shy, nebbish, doesn't speak out, doesn't make anyone uncomfortable, which is what we're all trained to be. Person to starting Swipe Out Hunger with a group of friends. And I remember my friend Brian Pazeski, the person who came up with this idea of Swipe Out Hunger. Quick side note, my name is Rachel Sumac. I'm the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Swipe Out Hunger. Our mission is to work with universities to end student hunger. For any of you rolling your eyes saying, how are college students going hungry? Remember that in America, from kindergarten through 12th grade, we give students free breakfast and lunch. In Los Angeles, it's 65% of the students who go to school. Those are their primary meals every day. So what happens when those students, which statistically about a third of high schoolers go to college, when they get to college, who's feeding them? Like their loans aren't feeding them. And yet they're in this position to change their family's trajectory if they are able to graduate. So we don't believe that ramen noodles are cute. They're cute if you want them. Sometimes you like go too hard on a thirsty Thursday, you go have ramen noodles, but that shouldn't be your only option night after night. And we saw too many friends have to go through that. So now we've grown from UCLA to over 90 universities across the US. We're in 34 states. We've written legislation that's passed millions of dollars to colleges to support them with this work. But where it all really began was with my friend Brian, getting a bunch of us together, getting the school to agree to let us donate our meal swipes, which most freshmen and sophomores, if you live on campus, are forced to buy meal plans. Through Swipe Out Hunger, we gave students a chance to donate their extra swipes to other people on campus who are hungry. Right now, the money goes straight from one meal plan to someone else's meal plan. But at the time, the moment that was really transformative for me from going from that shy, quiet girl to someone who wanted to speak out was 
we were going to move all this food around and people had said they would come and volunteer and some people stopped by for 10 minutes 15 minutes but we had like seven or eight pallets of food no one really showed up to the amount of time they said they would and I was like okay Brian like let's reschedule it's June it's hot and he said no we told the school we're gonna move this food so let's make it happen and we spent the next five hours moving this food across campus from Denev to CPO which is far you guys let me say (laughs) and uphill oh my gosh Um, I went through this moment where I was like wow this thing would not have happened if he wasn't unreasonable and realizing leadership sometimes meant coming up with a plan that doesn't look like standing at a podium with a clear plan forward it's in those moments when you don't know what to do that you step up and say this is what we got to do I was so touched by that and I said I want to give that experience to other people I want everyone to realize there are certain moments when things are going to go one way and you have to stop and say actually how do I change how things were going to go that's the opportunity we give to the 90 plus campuses the students who run those programs just like we did at UCLA that's crazy and how long ago was this that you started this that was nine years ago Uh, now 90 plus schools 90 plus schools wow so take us through a day or a week what do you do on a day-to-day people ask me that all the time I'm like I don't even know an answer but what would your answer be okay so I wake up in the morning I listen to about five minutes of news as like a news recap I journal for five minutes I get everything out of my head which is usually like the anxieties or stresses I wake up with I make eggs with kale I then get dressed I go to work and sometimes that means having a morning coffee with someone who I'm building a relationship with who might support us it'll mean having phone calls with potential partners with university staff I'm on the road at least once or twice a month so this month I've been to DC to Knoxville and what do you do on the road it's a lot of public speaking speaking to college students speaking at conferences and then as I'm in various cities I'll develop my network there so if there's a foundation there or if there's a really cool nonprofit there or another entrepreneur I want to connect with I'm shameless in the DMs hey would love to get coffee gonna be in town these days always knowing who's in what cities doing what and getting that face-to-face people always ask me this I'm sure you get this all the time how do you make your money how have you made nonprofit a career for you so not only is nonprofit my career but there are five other full-time humans who are making a full-time salary by working with swipe out hunger and that number is gonna double next year I spend a lot of time meeting with people who've made money who want to use those dollars to create an impact and I'm like here's an amazing way that if you give me one dollar it'll lead to one other human getting a meal swipe so they can swipe into the dining hall so a lot of individuals a lot of foundations I mean our budget right now is eight hundred thousand dollars a year that I raise personally so raising a ton of money to make sure I have people to talk to universities and change the system so everyone has access to food and are you guys looking to obviously get more schools what's the future plans for swipe out hunger I mean we're gonna hit 50 states within the next 12 months we are about to hit 100 campuses before the end of the year the plan is to keep growing onto campuses continue to pass legislation and make it completely impossible for a campus to say we're not going to take care of our students we want every campus to say I'm going to be the school that's known for supporting our students what did you study in college because you did not study I'm going to help hungry college students so what did you study what did you think you were going to do I studied history and human complex systems human complex systems is the study of people within different systems your family is a system your friends are a system and we understood how people in different groups operate differently and then I actually had to take a Java programming class so I know like a little bit of code but it completely changed my world it's the hardest class I've ever taken and then we built these virtual worlds where we tested theories if this community heard a rumor how fast would it spread compared to that one based on who's in the community I thought I was going to go to law school you're totally lawyer <laughs> vibes you're pretty much a lawyer I realized that wasn't for me after working at a law firm for like two weeks graduated and actually moved to Chicago gave my parents two three weeks notice I lived in a co-op with 16 other people I worked at a nonprofit. I just threw myself into like the trenches of changing the world and quickly realized that I didn't need to be in the trenches to make a difference 
I could be on the phone with students and that could catalyze them to go off and make a difference. And then how did your parents react to you doing all of this? So my parents are the best and so supportive. When I first moved back, which was the end of 2013, so I've been doing this full time for about six years. When I first moved back, it was my mom asking me when I'm going to go back to grad school about every other week. Studying for the GRE, have you studied for the GMAT? What are you studying for? It went from every other week to about every month and then every couple months. It wasn't until I'm going to do like a hair flip for those of you who can't see. Um, In 2016, I landed on the cover of the Jewish Journal as their Ment of the Year. That was like two and a half years after I started that my mom was like, oh, because it's hard to understand what I'm doing, as I'm sure you relate to. Yeah. But like that was a validation that she understood. So then she started asking me when I'm going to go to grad school about every four or six months after that. Never ends. Never ends. But now it comes down to trust. I think now they trust that I am making the right decisions. Sometimes they still say stuff, make sure I'm okay. I'm like, I got this. Yeah, I think it's like even with my parents at first, like blogging like what is that you can't explain that now everyone knows what a blogger is but it's not about that they don't believe in you but in the Persian community it's very systematic they know what works being a doctor and a lawyer not necessarily but works right so that's more stable and more reliable so anything outside of that and especially in nonprofit social media they just want to make sure you're all right so that's when they ask these questions I feel like it's not like they don't believe that you can do what you're doing but they just want to make sure that you're for life guaranteed stability and all that kind of stuff and do you feel like Persian girls were grown up with this idea of like even if you are to be a doctor lawyer they encourage that but they're like be a pharmacist because it's part-time not work as hard when you get older and have kids and a family do you feel that pressure like sometimes you're like I wish I just did something a little easier because you're a hustler you're saying that you're DMing people you're traveling all the time I wouldn't say that it's pressure I see an executive coach every other week we had a session a couple weeks ago where I was like a company is growing really fast and there's so much opportunity and we're going to keep doubling and there's something in me that doesn't want it we unpack that it was this fear that if we kept growing then it's going to be harder for me to have a family it's going to be harder for me to explain what I do to people it was that original narrative that I was told that I need to be this type of person in order to have this type of life holding me back from fully living the life I'm trying to build now and so just coming to peace with all of that of like no someone will still love me if I'm a successful CEO I don't need to minimize myself or minimize my progress it's interesting seeing how much of that original narrative is still in me not that I feel the pressure to live into that but it's still subconsciously and I was gonna say a lot of people say to me oh the reason why it's so hard for you to date is because guys look at you as intimidating which I'm like a mouse am I allowed to curse yeah go for it fuck that (laughs) everyone always asks me can you curse and I'm like yeah let's throw one in there as I'm like this is a clean podcast yeah but they say it's intimidating because girls don't really take on powerful roles they're not their own bosses they're not hustlers and so you have to find someone obviously that can handle that and is appreciative of that but do you find that as a struggle are you self-conscious about that because now I've gotten self-conscious about like oh my god am I too intimidating for people that's the most interesting thing I just turned 28 I'm figuring out who I am as a human still so how am I supposed to know if I'm coming off as intimidating or not if I'm still like really mapping out who I am so the thing I always remind myself before I meet anyone new or before I go on a date is just be yourself then if I'm intimidating or not that's not about me that's just who I am and it's that person's insecurity or whatever but lately since I've been like trying this being who I am it's been going really well in the beginning when I used to freak out of I have to be more nice I have to be more calm more girly more feminine whatever I would come off as awkward instead of just being myself so be yourself I like this takeaway (laughs) so in terms of balancing I mean you're working so much I honor that you even had time to meet with me today how do you balance having a normal life and also dating how do you go about both of those when I first started and any entrepreneur would relate to this I'm sure you do too working 80 hours a week was what I was told is how you be successful you have to work all the time and I realized that that was a joke it's about time management anyone who's working that much who's not like in investment banking 
working or something just means that they haven't gotten their calendar down it's been six years full time that i've been working on this in the past two or three i leave the office by like 6 30 most days then i'll go to the gym and then come back home and maybe do a little bit more work but it's more of a flow where i feel like i can still have my life i feel like finding the balance is not as hard once you deconstruct the structures that you think you're supposed to operate in you say well what do i need right now i mean to me you look like someone who's just got it all handled like you know what's up you know what you're doing but i'm sure you have days that are off and they're hard and i always like to play this game with my guests what happened to you in the last week or so that maybe you haven't shared publicly or on social media and how did you deal with it or how are you still dealing with it a couple of days ago we got this big grant from this organization and they had their students vote for whichever grant they wanted to choose and they chose talk about hunger the same day i got a text message from one of the people who i admire and respect the most very panicked saying we need to talk asap this person went on to tell me that we didn't deserve the grant that they wanted to use it for their own thing that we're not qualified we're not capable I was so taken aback because this is a person who is really influential and if this is their perspective on us then this is going to harm the organization what I realized was that they were just really misinformed and we haven't caught up in a really long time so they didn't know what's changed about us and how we can handle it so I went from having the sinking feeling in my stomach to just saying like hey I'd love to actually give you some updates because we are able to handle this and here's what's going on with us and it's been really shitty because even though that call went great she's now emailed me twice with other concerns that she has in the face of doing all this incredible work creating all this change I have to deal with drama that feels unnecessary to me but a part of like working in this world is knowing how to build relationships and partnerships and sometimes it's hard and making space for the relationships that matter to ask on top of that the bigger you get the more successful you are there's always going to be haters and there's going to be more and more how do you not take that personally I mean it's just experience and having coaches along the way who help pull out those lessons because when I was first starting out anyone who didn't like me when I was starting out I'm like it's okay they're not my partner they're not someone I'm going to work with but as I started to get older I'm like wow this is a really tough relationship this is controversial even but if I'm able to handle this if I'm able to listen if I'm able to make honey out of this then that's like me leveling up so the next time I'm even in a higher stake situation where there's a lot on the table I mean we just landed these huge multinational corporate partnerships two months ago that process was really tough because they're multinational publicly traded the 15 largest employer in the world is one of the people I was negotiating with and their values were so misaligned from mine but I knew if I got that deal it would impact tens of thousands of students lives so I had to stay at the table have my values focused so that meant having a coaching call with my mentors before walking into the meeting to know what are my ground and what am I not willing to say yes to and at points I walked away from the table it's all the practice that I've gotten throughout the years of dealing with this like random lady who's going to email me and like, say these horrible things to then be able to sit at that table and not be triggered when whenever they say I'm adorable or whenever they like, totally misread something that I'm doing. To add to that also, because when I have calls or emails with people for brand stuff, I don't want anyone to hate me. I don't want to be the mean and the bad guy, right? So I have a manager, Sarah, who you know. So I'm like, okay, anytime we have like an email, I'm like you're going to say the stuff, but you're the boss. So how do you do that even with your employees to get them to do the things you want or even in these meetings to ask for those unreasonable requests without sounding like a bitch, but like still getting what you want done and still having them like you at the end? I have this book right next to me because I read it all the time called Coaching Skills for Nonprofit Managers and Leaders. You just coach people into being the person you want to work with. So whenever this woman called me that day and saying all these horrible things, I'm like, well, let me like coach you into realizing how this conversation should go or how my staff. Sometimes it's about remembering it's about the mission and not about me. Always remembering that and remembering that not everyone needs to like me, which is so hard to accept. It took me a really long time to accept that. But knowing that if I have goals, if I spend enough time knowing what my goals are, then I can 
so easily say no or like not worry about people liking me when it's not related to those things. You said you had a few examples. Do you have something in your personal life, maybe with your friends? I don't want to call anyone out here, but like anything else that you've dealt with that you yeah. still are working on? I mean, the interesting thing about having the Persian Jewish community so close by and then also having my own path that I've kind of gone down is that a lot of the friendships I had in high school aren't as close as they used to be because it just grew apart. But still, I like love and cherish those people. There's sometimes like feeling of I haven't caught up with them in a long time, but I see them at weddings or I see them around. And last week I went and got dinner with one of my oldest friends who I don't really talk to very often just because our lives are so different now. And that sense of like anxiety that sometimes I felt of like, oh, we haven't caught up in a long time totally went away because we just started talking to each other, got dinner. So a lot of sometimes tension around how do I balance being who I am in the real world and then also being with my people. Do you feel like you overcommit or like you feel like you're obligated to like see a lot of people because people see you around. They're like, well, this girl has time to do this and this. Like, why isn't she making time for me? I feel like that way a lot, especially because I'm on social media, always doing something. So people mistake that as me having time. I almost undercommit. I think I'm like known for not showing up to things, which is why it removes the pressure. It's so hard for me to see things as like negative. For instance, I had two conflicting events this past Saturday night. One of my best friends was hosting like a little birthday party thing for me. And then I had one of my other friends on Saturday night who was hosting his birthday. It's like one of my really good friends. And so I was feeling torn of like, do I go and be with like my Persian people? Or do I stay here with this like new group and not even new, like a couple of years we've been friends, like this other group of people and this like really generous friend. So I did both. I was at one until like midnight and then I jumped in a lift and went to the other and had best of both world situation. And sometimes it was hard because I didn't get to Danny's until like 12, 31 o'clock, but still got to get a taste of it. So I think a lot of it is learning that you don't need to have the whole thing. It's a matter of just still feeling connected. And I want to say you brought the energy when you got there. I was like half asleep. I'm like, this girl is partying. Like this party just started and I'm into it. And that's what you do, though. I think that's who you are. Like wherever you go, you are the energy and you do commit to a lot of things or undercommit, but you get to where you need to go. But you're always present 100 where you are. I think that's exactly it. I don't do anything where I'm not going to be fully committed and excited to see the people there. Or the moment I go and I see my people, I'm like, great, my job here is done. I did what I came here for. There's never anything I'm doing at an event that's for anyone but me. And that took me a while to really get the hang of. And I just want to say, I think that why people love you so much, especially like in our community is because they just like your energy like you give it to them just like with your presence like when you got there I like woke up a little I'm like oh my god Rachel's here you know what I mean and so I think maybe it's because like when I go to events sometimes I'm like oh well I have to go to this birthday or like I need to be there because I need to be social but when you go in the intention of just being there because you want to be there and not because you're forced to like you didn't have to come to Danny's it was late but you wanted to and so it was really like seen and and I think that that goes back to they often say that when you have constraints that's whenever you get to be the most successful because you suddenly say I only have 30 minutes to get this done or I only have 10 minutes at this party so I'm going to make the most of it so sometimes I add false constraints to things and I think this is something artists do a lot they say I can only use black and white and let's see what I can create so whenever I say my constraints are my job right like I sleep seven to eight hours a night usually I stopped drinking coffee I started to live a very balanced life because it made me better at work so I know that if I'm going to stay out it's going to be a sacrifice to my work so it's something I'm really committed to I'm going to make the most of otherwise I don't go I mean, we get fucking invited to baby showers and weddings and bridal showers every weekend. I don't go. I like only go to the ones that work with my life that make me have energy because people know I still love them. Like I'll send them the text. I'll like say, I love you. Sometimes it's not worth it. I'll go for 30 minutes. This is interesting because I will go because I feel like mentally it's bad if I don't go. Like I need to go because I need to be around people. I need to be around Persians. Maybe I'll meet my husband there. Oh my gosh, if I don't go, did I miss out on meeting my husband there? Do you put that pressure on yourself? No, because it doesn't help me. Like last night I went out with that time. I went with the intention 
question of maybe I'll meet someone here because it's like this type of event. There's a lot of people I don't know. Um, and then I'll put on that face and go. But by accident at like a wedding or at a bridal shower, or baby shower or whatever, I'm like, I've been to those rooms so many times. There's people in that space either already know. So if I want someone to introduce me, they will. Or they're not looking for a girl like me. Works with my personality and my social group. And because I always love talking about this, are you on the dating apps? And like, how is that experience for you? Do you love them? Do you hate them? I never like to tell people I'm a blogger until later, but they always find out because they Google me. So if you find my dating app on like Hinge, you can put videos and it's a video of me like speaking at the state assembly, but it's me at the state assembly saying something funny. Like from the get go, fucking Google me. I'm not here to like hide my shine, give you a lecture in the middle of the date. You're going to Google me anyway. You should know that I'm the person, but you should know that I don't take myself seriously because I'm going to make a joke. Wow. You're inspiring me right now. I love this. Yeah, definitely on the dating apps, but I wasn't very active. I went on my first date in like three months last week. And are you looking to have a relationship right now? Because you're so focused on work. That takes a lot of time. So how do you balance doing that? And is that something you're looking for currently? I have another entrepreneur friend who's married and has kids. And he said the greatest hack to being an entrepreneur is having a loving partner. So I think in my mind, I'm viewing finding my partner as something that's actually really contributing to my life. So how do I find someone who also has their own path, their own ambitions and wants to be supportive? Because I think I'm so curious about the people in my life. I want to know like, what are you up to? What are you curious about? And how do I help you? And so I want someone who might also have that same perspective. And so it can be like a co thing. So not too worried about it taking up time or distraction. And if that means slowing down my work, then that's fine. You know, I've been going ramped up for so long. It's fine to have a flow. And what do you think? Because I mean, you've had so much experience doing so many things. You were at the White House, right? Am I a couple of times? Just a, whatever. NBD. <laughs> I'm going to I'm the like, Obama White House, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, well, let's talk about which president. As I'm like trying to crash them, you're invited. I need to learn this way. Anyways, so you've done a lot of things. What is few things that you've learned from your experience with all these people you've been around and having your own nonprofit and all that kind of stuff? People always ask me, what's the hardest part about being a female founder? What obstacles have you had to overcome? And I always turn the question around and I say, why don't you ask me how being a female entrepreneur or how being a first generation American has actually been the secret to my success? What I've learned is that being a woman makes you more approachable. It means that you're allowed to smile and people love looking at people who are smiling. So learning to really embrace my femininity and have that be a huge asset as I'm meeting with people. Being Middle Eastern, being Iranian means that I have an excuse to hug people and hugging is a great way to build a connection. So really looking into my identity as an asset. So I encourage everyone to do that because you see professors and people who have those kind of formal things get authority based on that. We have authority based on what we have as well. And I can write a book, a list of reasons why that's been a benefit. Other tips, so many little things like when you're flying on an airplane, don't wear makeup, always have makeup remover wipes with you. All you need is just a little lipstick sometimes. Make sure you get sleep. I can't like over explain the value of sleep. And I remember I was having a conversation with this guy one time. We're working together and he was like not understanding what I was saying. He continued to misunderstand me. This is the only time I've ever done this professionally. I yelled at him over the phone. I'm like, Daniel, like why don't you understand what I'm saying? In that moment, I called my coach right after and I'm like, just yell at this person. And he's like, congratulations, you found your new guru. This is the person who's going to train you on how to even be a higher level leader. So finding the people who sometimes you have to work figuring out how that person can actually help you level up is always a really fun invitation. And that usually starts with listening. And you have mentioned a coach a few times. So why do you have a coach and what do you use your coach for? I had a life coach for six months. I did an episode with her. She was the best. I love that episode of you guys together. It's great. I was actually telling him about this yesterday. It was funny. We were sitting in coaching and he goes, I forget how fun it is to coach you. You're like driving a Ferrari. 
Ferrari. You figure it out on your own. And so usually what happens is I'll go in. He's like, what do you want to work on? I'm like, well, this thing happened, that thing happened. And then I'll like start to just like talk about it for the next 10 minutes on my own. And every now and then he'll chime in and ask a probing question that helps me go deeper. But what it does for me is it creates a space for me to just process all the stuff and unpack what I've learned, what the challenges were. So it's really just creating that space for me. I think some people need more guidance. Some people need more questions. And for me, my brain is going so fast all the time that literally I pay so that someone can sit there as I process stuff. That's important. We need that and that support. So if there's one last thing, people listening to this episode with you that you want them to take away, whatever that may be, what's your final message or one final takeaway? This has been a message that I've been sharing for a long time that's evolved quite a bit. But whenever I was in college, people used to say, oh, you're not a typical Persian girl. And I used to say, oh yeah, you're right. I'm not. I like listen to NPR and I like this and like that. And over the past few years, I've really resented that, that I didn't embrace the new narrative. It was not my fault that they thought I wasn't typical. It was their fault. Their understanding of what it meant to be Persian was very wrong. Being a Persian girl shouldn't be one thing. You can be whatever you want. It made me have to separate myself in a lot of ways. I'm wearing all black right now. My hair is straightened. So I think people are allowed to define what that means for themselves. They can take the parts they love. They can add other things to it that are completely unrelated. So for ourselves, understanding how that we can create our own narrative and that makes our community richer. We can be individuals while still being in a tight community and reinforcing that narrative because our younger cousins are watching. It's so natural to just follow who's above you. So the more independent we are, the more it gives freedom to others. And then being able to honor and love and be generous with everyone else's experience of themselves because we're all still figuring it out. I love that. And I think to add to that and just say that you may be a unique, not as I say, typical because you're doing all these unique things, right? That is not the standard. But I think that when people look into our community, like your name, as I've mentioned before, like people think of you as a representation of our community. So ironically enough, as you may not be the typical Persian girl, you are a representation and leader for our Persian community, I feel. And it's made you stand out in these ways that people now look to and like, I want to be like Rachel. That means so much. And I hope that I get to be one other example. But I was having lunch with this person recently and they asked me, well, how many shining stars in our community are there? Maybe 25. I'm like, are you crazy? Like you can't even count. People are like, it's just the Sam Yebris. And the woman was like in her 60s. So I'm like, maybe that's why she said it that way. I genuinely was like, to even put a number on it is incorrect because we are all so committed to what we're doing in our lives that it's a matter of just really supporting and just letting that potential play out. So I see myself in my own lane and I see everyone in their own lanes. And all I want to do is make each other better. Oh, Rachel, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. I'm so excited. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. So my final thing is, as I say, until next time for my outro. So can you please do the honor and say until next time? Until next time.